Hello, and welcome to the Logistics Management Podcast Series. My name is Jeff Berman. I'm Group News Editor for Logistics Management, as well as the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group. Today, it's a real pleasure to welcome Ted Prince to the podcast. Ted serves as co-founder and chief strategy officer of Tiger Cool Express LLC, a venture founded in 2014 dedicated to rail intermodal transportation of temperature-controlled freight. The service offers a low-cost, more reliable, and environmentally friendly alternative to long-haul truck transportation. Ted's career spans more than 40 years in the transportation industry. He was formerly principal of T. Prince & Associates, LLC, which provided consulting services for a wide variety of surface freight transportation stakeholders around the world. Some Some of his more notable assignments include developing the Ocean 53 program for J.B. Hunt, creating an intermodal competition model for the Panama Canal Authority, developing the first cadre of international managers for the China Ministry of Railways, and reconfiguring the import supply chain for a major retailer. Other clients include major transportation and logistics companies from around the world, and Ted has also served as an M&A advisor to both financial and strategic investors. Previous experience in transportation includes President Consolidated Chassis Management LLC, which was formed to develop and own chassis pools. And prior to that, Ted was Vice President of Intermodal and International for Class 1 Railroad Kansas City Southern. And he was also previously Chief Operating Officer and responsible for the management and profitability of K-Line's North American Trades uh, and was with K-Line for 10 years, K-Line America. Prior to that, Ted was with Conrail and its motor carrier subsidiary for nine years. Hey, Ted, welcome to our podcast today. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a real pleasure having you. Uh, Ted, why don't we start with what you're up to currently? Uh, Can you just give us sort of uh, uh, the elevator pitch or a a, a quick overview on Tiger Cool Express, just in terms of who you guys mainly serve? uh, what verticals they play in uh, in the refrigerated space, and uh, and really an overview of your service menu. Certainly. Well, we we founded my partner and I founded Tiger Cool Express um, in 2014. Prior to that, it took three years to raise the money because there's not a lot of money out there for industrial <laughs> startups. Right. And what we looked at, we saw a business that had long haul, line haul, um, not a lot of penetration by intermodal and the reason was there had been some intermodal before but it was trailers and it got wiped out on the repositioning return by double stack so we felt that we should go with containers um, there were some some you know smaller groups out there that you know dallied with containers we went into containers big and we were really ahead of the curve there because if 50% of your expenses rail, um, you know, you want to find the most efficient way. Um, but anyone who's been in this business knows that containers are uh, an adventure with the chassis and everything. Certainly. We basically moved to and from the West Coast uh, to points if you sort of drew a line, Chicago, Kansas City, Memphis, and points east. Um, we, we serve those markets. Um, going eastbound, we're one of the few that, that has a major presence in the produce market because produce is, is a, you know, a, a vertical of its own. It's literally got its own laws. Yes. Um, but we also move a lot of commercial freight, processed food, 
And then there's uh, a bunch of seasonal business that in the summer needs to be protected from heat and the winter needs to be protected from freezing. Westbound is pretty much all, um, you know, processed food and, um, you know, occasionally we'll move dry. Okay. All right. Great. Great. Um, you know, why don't uh, we shift uh, just to from a modal perspective for a few minutes, Ted? Uh, when you look at today's intermodal market, how would you sort of assess the current state of uh, things along the lines of service conditions and related volumes? I know it's been a bit of a bumpy ride um, in, in in some instances. Obviously, some of it largely pandemic driven, but there, there's also some other things going on too. Um, as it relates to uh, service specifically, well, and that applies a rail car load as well, right? Didn't, didn't take too long for you to hit one of my hot buttons, Jeff. Um, <laughs> you know, if you listen to everybody, I, I've, I've come up with what I call the four C's. It's the four C's excuse, right? China, COVID, chassis, congestion. Yeah. And yeah, we, we have all those issues, but we were headed for this iceberg for a long time. And it's just right. a representation of how freight is, is, is handled in this country. It's not handled like passenger. Passenger transportation is basically adding a traffic light or another lane sure. or an exit ramp. It's all local. Freight moves globally in corridors. And it's got a mix of public, private, and, and in-between um, enterprises. And... What, what we see is these models that have worked, you know, for 40 years since, since deregulation are broken. You know, the, the tenant, port tenant model is broken. The on-dock rail model is broken. The Crosstown model is broken. Um, you know, with AB5, the owner-operator model may, may soon be broken. The outsourced intermodal ramp contractor model is broken. So we, we have a lot of pieces that are failing and, and we have a lot of enterprises that are working to improve it. But, you know, we didn't get this, we didn't get to this point in just a year or two. It's been, you know, really for, for a while. Um, yeah. If I could just digress for one sec, what, what people don't understand is that in regulation, you basically had cost-driven pricing, mm -hmm. which meant that um, the the carriers said, here's our costs, and when costs went up, prices went up. And this was all part of a social contract that said, as a, as a government policy, we want excess capacity because, you know, going back to the Civil War and, you know, major mobilizations, you needed that surge capacity. And the only way you can do that is to issue monopoly licenses to regulatory authority that supported that. Once deregulation came, that model blew up, and now it became price-driven costing, meaning mm -hmm. you had to get your costs down below what you would charge in the market to, to make money. But what it also did was there was about 25 years of free capacity. The railroads just shrunk their 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 physical plant and their operation from about 1980 to about 2005. Okay. And everything was great. But around 2005, they sort of hit equilibrium, and all of a sudden, they were short of capacity. Well, that requires significant capital investments. And the other thing that's happened now is that the railroads 
have be, like all other publicly traded companies have to fear the hedge funds. Yeah. So this idea that we're we're managing this this triangle of customers, employees, and investors has pretty much become a, a pogo stick just on the investors. And yeah. and that's why we're not keeping up with investment. And right. they're you know, they're coming back. I mean, I give the railroads credits. They have significant investment plans, um, but they're they're playing catch up. Yeah, I mean, their, their CapEx is uh, well, well uh, steeper, what, uh, a much bigger number than your typical uh, uh, industrial manufacturer uh, by by maybe 15 percent or more on an annual basis. Yeah, is that I, fair? I think with the exception of. Um, Oil refining, it's the most capital intensive industrial out there. Okay. Yeah. That's, it's wild. Um, so, looking at a, a bit of a more current events perspective, Ted, um, you know, now that the calendar is officially moved into July, uh, we're in the, formally in the second half of the year. And that means that everyone's, uh, a lot of people in our space have peak season top of mind. And do you think, I mean, if you were to sort of crystal ball it and look at what the 2022 peak season may have in store with us. How would you assess it? I mean, and I just ask because some people uh, maintain that we don't have anything even closely resembling a traditional peak season anymore. Well, it, with, um, I, I don't know what it's like in your family, but in our family <laughs> at the holidays, we just give gift cards now. There you so, go. Um, you don't need to buy stuff and, you know, have it ready there for, you know, under the tree or wherever, um, you know, they, they can move it into the first quarter. Um, so that, that's changed things a little bit, but, um, I think what's, we, we're, we're con as an industry, we constantly fight the last war. So we're fighting last year's war the year before and, uh, importers are moving things up. You know, there've been problems in China. Um, with, you know, significant major um, metropolitan areas, Shanghai, Beijing shut down, mm -hmm. COVID. Um, what I find interesting is the one thing around the world, the U.S., Europe, China, South Korea, Japan, there are no truckers. And it's, you know, the ATA likes to say, if you've got it, a truck brought it. Even with intermodal, the truck had to pick it up, the truck had to deliver it, yeah. and that's how intermodal looks like truck. Um, so there are certain sectors of, of capacity, including human capacity, that um, are, are seriously impacting us. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with, with, with truck drivers. Uh, when I started in this business, I was dispatching Teamsters and company trucks, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not sure if that's if that was if that's such a terrible thing. Um, you know, at least I, I remember sitting in the swamps of Jersey on Christmas Day, needing crews to unload a train for UPS, and I called the business agent, and everybody showed up. So I've always felt that the Teamsters are very tough, but a very smart union. And, you know, perhaps with what's going on, someone will make a deal with them and, you know, the pendulum will, will return to that and trucking will be a middle-class job again. And yeah. We'll, we'll have them. But um, there's a lot of other things you see, you know, the Amazon business. And then I read somewhere that um, with the uh, 
infrastructure bill, the estimates are coming in 20% higher from the states because of the increased cost of supplies and labor. So maybe I don't want to drive a truck, maybe I want to drive a steamroller, especially if I'm in a place where that, that's a 10 or 12 month a year job. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and you had just touched upon China um, and the COVID impact there. Obviously, things were largely shut down for, for uh, several weeks. Um, now that things are kind of reopening there and uh, plants are getting back to business, uh, stands a reason that uh, we're going to see a major influx of freight, uh, according to a lot of different uh, sources. Uh, what do you think the sort of subsequent impact of uh, that is going to be on the, the, our domestic supply chain? Um, you know, clearly there's, there's been a dislocation. One of, one of the challenges, as I understand it in China, is that, um, you know, Shanghai is, was shut down, you know, with COVID. And um, the, the problem is that um, as the East Coast of, of China developed, you know, ever since, um, you know, Deng Xiaoping opened things in, in 1980, business has been moving west because mm -hmm. instead of having the workers come east and live, um, they're going west. So you had, for instance, Foxconn that makes all that electronics. They moved from Guangzhou, you know, about a thousand miles west to Wuhan, um, which we all know about now. But um, you've got to get that to the ports. And most of it is trucks. Some of it is rail. Um, and there's every province has its rules. So if you're a truck driver, it's not just saying, okay, Shanghai is open. You know, I might have to traverse five or six provinces to get there and then do the same thing going back. Um, so it's not completely a as mobile as it was before COVID. Okay. They okay. also, you know, at least for Shanghai, um, they've got the Yangtze. They have a very, uh, like, parts of Europe, very extensive barge network. It's not as fast, but it, it's, it works and it, you know, it might be necessary. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, everyone's favorite subject these days, you know, the, the whole inflation situation. I mean, it's, we're still at 40 year highs. Um, you read that maybe we've, we've hit peak inflation and things may head down, who knows, but uh, in terms of the impact of inflation on uh, freight transportation, logistics, supply chain operations, it appears it's been significant. Uh, when you look at the, this current inflationary environment, uh, how do you sort of uh, make sense of it all? Well, you know, I, I remember, I guess, you know, what, what was the line? Um, Churchill said he wanted one-handed economists because he never wanted to hear on the other hand. <laughs> and in, in the last two days, I've, I've read predictions from leading Wall Street banks, one predicting $65 oil by the end of the year and another one predicting $300 oil. Um, so, you know, if I could predict that, I'd probably be in, in another business. You know, <laughs> I think fuel is clearly a, a even for intermodal carriers, intermodal uh, fuel is a huge issue. And the, the problem is that um, these cust in our business, for instance, the produce business, because the, the customer is really a produce buyer. 
supermarkets don't have traffic departments. The buyers are buying cartons of whatever, stone fruit, grapes, lettuce, freight delivered. So it's a price that's all in. So you really need to make sure that you put the fuel in there as, as well, because an $8,000 load last month was great. An 8000 load this month, you know, when fuel was over $5 a gallon, yeah. it, it's a stone-cold loser. And, and then you've got the um, this breakthrough fuel, which is really just kind of a, you know, scam on, on how to, you know, basically, I guess, consultants at exhausted all their other lines of business they came up with this um you know people you, you either want to pay the cost of the freight or you don't and, okay. and there's so many pieces of fuel other pieces line haul um clearly insurance is, is, is a big issue and if the feds get around to raising the the minimum insurance requirement, that's going to be a huge hit. It's like the fuel tax. It hasn't been changed in 40 years or 30 years. Um, it's, you know, these quarterly payments. And then you have to think about, um, I, I think the difference between this year and last year is last year, rates were going up because the market was good and the market, yeah. and, you know, the elasticity of demand supported that. Rates this year need to stay up, not because of the market, but because of inflation. Everything costs more. And if you're an owner-operator and you went out and bought one of these, you know, used Class A tractors and trailers last year, it, you know, it's probably lost 40% of its value. You financed it with an adjustable rate mortgage and the rates are going up, so you're getting squeezed from two sides. Yeah, it's not a, not a great situation. Um and inflation, and you had uh, we touched upon it before, but and people are making more money, right? Hourly wages are up. Uh, the the labor situation um, it remains very fluid. Uh, unemployment rate does remain low. Um, it's been it's it's really thrown a wrench in the supply chain operations for many. I mean, when we look at labor, I mean, it, in, during COVID, at times more people got paid to stay at home. Uh, just due to uh, fe federal uh, uh, assistance. Uh, when you look at the labor impact or what's happening with labor on in, within our industry, it, it can be a tough story to tell, truck driver situation aside. How do you think the labor shortage is, is affecting things overall at, at this point? I think we're um, reaping what we've sown. Um, I heard a railroad CEO speak recently and they were talking about they have this model of they hire, they furlough, they call back, they furlough. Yeah. And that when they would furlough um, and call back, sixty, they used to expect 60, 70% recall. Well, now they're furloughing and they're calling back and they're getting 20, 10, almost 0%. Oh, uh, and people were saying, you know, this this is not such a great job anymore. Y years ago, when I worked for the railroad, everyone said, "Oh, that's a great job. It's a job for life. You got a pension. It's it's a wonderful thing." Um, it it it's hard work. It's dangerous work. It's erratic work in terms of being away from home, and, and people are, you know, this generation. Um, and you know, I listen to my daughter. It's what does she say? Um. We work to live. We don't live to work. Right, right. And it's it's just not 
it's not a good job. You know, truck drivers, you know, everybody talks about um, being a shipper of choice. What a joke. It's, it's a Potemkin thing, right? A lot of these places, they don't even have a place where, you know, a trucker can, can go to the bathroom. Yeah. And yeah. They're, they're, they're just saying, this is it. Take it or leave it. I have all this freight. You have to do business with me. Yeah, no, it, 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 that, that, that part about taking care of truckers um, at shipper facilities, that's, that's been an ongoing narrative for you years. Know, the, the other thing that, that's kind of interesting that people haven't talked about is the whole impact of TMS. Mm-hmm. And what will happen is a customer will, will send us a bill, said we have a load, it's going from A to B. Okay, that's great. So we go out to A. And they back up and they only put 15 pallets in and the driver goes, what's going on? Oh, you got to make three more stops now. Well, if we'd known it was a four stop, we wouldn't have taken the load in the first place. Mm-hmm. But now there's 15 pallets on. You basically trapped this driver. And the one thing that I always found interesting is even with the tension um, where, you're, where you're making money, drivers want to be driving. It's not so much about the money. It's the fact that they don't want to be sitting around you know, waiting with this uncertainty of when I'm going to get loaded, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, in the first come first serve. It's, it, it's like Lord of the flies at the loading dock. Oh brother. Yeah, no, n- n- not, not a good situation. And, um, and, and just sticking with the labor thing theme, Ted, as we wrap up here, there's a few different labor things cooking in the market right now. One of them is obviously the, uh, the recently expired contract between the Pacific Maritime Association and the, International Long Longshore Warehouse Union (ILWU). Obviously, they're working towards getting a new deal uh, intact. Um, and everyone remembers back in uh, 2002, uh, the 11-day uh, uh, shutdown, if you will, that, that cost right. our economy uh, well over a billion dollars. Uh, hopefully, we don't get to a situation like that. But how should shippers? How, how should people be? Uh, viewing what's going on uh, in terms of the, the status of that contract. Uh, um, business as usual until it isn't. <laughs> my sense in this case is that um, I don't, I don't, you know, it's kind of surprising. There hasn't been any real slowdowns. Um, the union's been pretty responsible. Right. Uh, I mean, both sides have been, been responsible. Um, the, um, the lines made so much money last year, it's kind of hard for them to plead poverty. Sure. And that um, the, the ILWU, you know what congressmen their headquarters are in? Uh, yeah, refresh my memory. I'm, I'm blanking Nancy here. Pelosi. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, you know, she's, you know, they're up in San Francisco and yeah. All right, you know, San Francisco, I don't course. think they're going to want to hurt, you know, the, the, the blue team right now. Um, you know, the issues are, are clearly money. Uh, the other issue I haven't heard that much about is how many class A longshoremen will be on the rolls. Cause that was part of the problem in COVID when um, people were sick, they didn't have enough class A, they had to go to casuals. There's, um, there was a shortage. Um, I think on both sides, it's a much more professional approach. You know, the union, they know what they need to do to protect their members. 
uh, the PMA under, you know, McKenna has done a good job. But most importantly, the PMA board, you know, it used to leak like a sieve. They would have these top secret meetings and then four people would run to the phone to see yeah. who they, who could call the ILW first to tell them all the secret strategies. And they, they really cleaned up that act. So it's you're not hearing a lot. I, I think that's a good thing. That's that's a good, you know, labor negotiation should be done at the table, not at the press. Yeah, they've been issuing joint re- joint releases uh, yeah. with with some some information to help uh, keep people up to date. So that's been very helpful. And this the other la- labor uh, situation is just what's going on right now. The uh, between the Class One railroads and uh, r- rail labor organizations, nobly the National Carriers Conference Committee. It looks like they're sort of at an impasse. Uh, I know some industry associations for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, for example, is calling on the White House to get involved. Um, I I think it's a pretty interesting situation. I don't know how much uh, there is to 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 tell at this point, but uh, well, ho- hopefully it doesn't keep trending. Negotiations by design are glacially slow, you know, and, and the White House can get involved, but ultimately, you know, there's probably going to be a PEB, a presidential emergency board. Yes, um, you know, and Congress will implement a solution. There there are a lot of issues. You know, and one one of the challenges that the railroads are kind of facing is the problem that the ILWU faces, right? The ILWU wants to be the union for everyone, but the terminals backstab each other and compete for labor in a secondary market. You can't Mm -hmm. do that on the railroad, but the railroads are trying to find ways of non-compensation, non-monetary compensation to attract and retain people that might go work for a different railroad or might go mm-hmm. somewhere else. Um, I, again, I, I think it's moving. Um, it's moving slowly. There are discussions. Um, you know, if there's a strike, you know, it's not going to go for more than a day or so. Sure. Um, you know, and the other thing, that billion-dollar figure that's tossed around from 2002, I was never quite sure how much of that was an actual loss versus how much of that just moved. Oh, okay. It, so if you I, were I, Walmart and you lost five days sales from that, yeah, but maybe did you have, you know, ten days of better sales? It, it's hard to say that the data that we have on our economy and our transportation system is is pathetic. Right. Right. No, I I, I get what you're saying. Um, all right, Ted. Well, listen, we have reached the end of uh, our allotted time for today's podcast. Um, on behalf of Logistics Management Magazine and the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group would like to offer up a big thanks for spending some time with us today. Well, um, glad to do it, Jeff. Uh, keep keep doing the good job you guys are doing covering our industry. We need right. people that understand it. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. And will do. And um, for those of you uh, that are on LinkedIn, please go ahead and uh, give Ted a uh, a look he's always got some really good and interesting posts uh, some some good food for thought um so check him out on linkedin and also please feel free to go ahead and check out tiger cool express's website simply at tigercoolexpress.com and also please feel free to give us a follow on twitter uh the logistics management handle is at logistics mgmt and also uh please go ahead and sign up for our podcast if you aren't already wherever you get your podcasts. And that is simply uh, the the Supply Chain 24-7 podcast. 
Thanks, everyone. Have a great day, and uh, we'll see you next time.